Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mama Marketer podcast. I am your host, Olivia Hayes, and um, I am here with my friend, Maggie. And um, before we jump into our interview, I just want to say a couple of things to set her up. So first off, this is a break from the series that I've been doing. I've been interviewing different libertarians and, and talking about, you know, politics and that type of thing. So this is not in that series. This is a break from that. Um, this is a good friend of mine. Um, and also, if you listen to my last interview, I want to say... Um, I, I normally get the comment that I talk very fast and I feel like in my last interview, I was really fast. So I just want to apologize to everybody for that. Um, it was a, a high stress situation, but it was very important that we did it. And I'm still proud of that episode, but um, hopefully hearing me be extra fast and frantic, I'll be able to be a little bit better on our next few. So, um, okay. So talking about Maggie. Maggie was actually previously scheduled to be on my podcast. So before we get into today's topic, I am going to let her just introduce herself. Um, and then we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the topic I wanted to have her on about a year ago. Um, so Maggie, first tell us <laughs> what um, your day job is. Um, I am a nurse. I just previously um, opened a clinic in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I'm still in the process of, but it's an urgent care. Um, so I've been in nursing since about 2016. Um, so yeah. And yes. I'm a mom, of course, you know, primarily. Yeah. yeah so you were, uh, you survived and are still surviving being in the medical field during COVID and everything. So gosh, we could probably talk all day about that. Um, but big props to you for continuing to stay in the field with, you know, just all the scary stuff and all the requirements and things that they put you through. I know that you didn't fully agree with like everything that was happening in facilities and you still, um, you know, you still made it work and you still have to make a living. So um, we're going to hear a little bit today about why, you chose to go into that field. So um, big, big props to you. And thanks for, for doing what you do. Um, now tell us something that you do for fun in our quote unquote free time, because moms who work have so much of that, but tell us what you do in your free time. Oh my gosh, for fun. That's funny. Um, I take care of my seven animals that I decided to rescue. <laughs> yeah. So tell so us have, all seven of your animals. Yeah. Um, I have two dogs and five cats. Um, <laughs> I think the only one that was not a rescue is my naked cat. He was the only one that I inherited. Thankfully, he is a pain in my butt most days. But and yep, we I... have two dogs and five cats, so they tend to keep me. <laughs> You've always been an animal lover. Um, Maggie and I went to high school together, if I haven't already said that. So we've known each other a long time. And I love your naked cat. It is like the one animal <laughs> I wish I could have, but my boys are like, mom, no, ew. <laughs> but she's so I cute. I mean, they wear, they wear sweaters. They actually, their core temperature is a lot warmer than ours. So he's like a little heater in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to convince yeah. my family. Um, okay. So the, the topic you were going to discuss with me like years ago, we are both really big fans of the Bravo show Vanderpump Rules. So um, we don't have to do a full breakdown, but what is your overall, so there we had the big scandal ball and it was like national news. It was crazy. And they're, they're starting to film their next season, but nothing's come out yet. But what, 
what is your major takeaway? What do you think about the whole Scandaball situation? I mean, I didn't even see that coming at all. I had no idea. And I mean, Raquel and Tom aren't even together anymore. So mm. I think that's the craziest part of this whole thing is literally not even together anymore. And I did hear that Raquel's not even coming back to the next season, which I mean, I definitely get. Um, and then I do still watch a lot of Bravo and I heard that, like, during a lot of their scenes, they purposely, like, Bravo, I don't know if this is, like, a subject I should probably bring up, but <laughs> they would push, like, the drama and the alcohol mm-hmm. and a lot mm-hmm. of, like, things to do, you know, coming up with all of this stuff and Bravo, especially in, like, Vanderpump and stuff. So, yeah, I could definitely so- see where Raquel is coming from, but that scandal was mind-blowing. Yes. Yeah. So um, it's interesting because Bethany Frankel, who is a Real Housewife of New York, has started this reality reckoning where she is basically burning the Bravo Bridge and she is saying like they push drinks on the women to make bad decisions and then they film them and they don't really get compensated Mm -hmm. well. Um, She did an interview with Raquel, which was where Raquel was like, I'm not coming back because Tom gets rewarded and I still make way less than him. And I think that's all very interesting. Um, and I agree. It totally caught everybody by surprise. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that I I get why she's not coming back, but it also as a woman makes me mad. Like she should make him face it. She should yeah, like, like, like be there still, but also if she's not being compensated well and she's not mentally spiritually strong, then I get it. But it is just crazy. Like how it, it took over. I mean, it caught people's attention that have not been Bravoholics and I don't know, it's, it's all very interesting. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah, they're not even together. Like if you're going to have like a national news story about an affair, like it better be like passionate, amazing forever love. And it wasn't, it was just like a couple of hookups and like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's gross. Um, Okay, so that's all the lighthearted topics I have. <laughs> yes. So now we're going to get into um, what I am calling un- unpacking trauma. So there is something happening amongst 30-year-olds where like all of a sudden we have maybe the time to put into bettering ourselves. Maybe we finally have the money to put into bettering ourselves, but I'm seeing a lot of people our age, mid thirties that are for the first time seeking therapy. And when you're in therapy, things that you didn't realize were trauma, things that you didn't realize you were repressing comes up. And I know I've had my own that has come up in the last couple of years. Um, and you're, you're no different. So I just, so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the process of going to therapy, the process of unpacking trauma, some trauma that's happened to you that you're ready to talk about for the first time. Um, and just how walking through it and sharing it and, and doing the work with a the therapist, like it's hard, but it, it really is the only way to heal our way through these things. So, um, I want to set the background for us. Uh, we, you grew up okay. in a small town in Kansas. Um, you were one of those that lived in the town your whole life. So you went to school with the same people, K through eighth, same kids, same parents. Um, and your parents are also both from small towns, I believe in the area. And so there is a certain, it's not necessarily the small town, but also amongst that generation, our parents' generation, where like talking about trauma, 
didn't really happen. And, and, and being open to different, um, emotional lifestyles. Like, you know, we weren't talking about when something happened, we, we didn't talk about it. We didn't process it. Right. Um, and that's not just on small towns. It's not just on our parents' generation, but it's, it's kind of a culmination of both, which is how we've ended up here mid thirties, not processing anything. So that's just kind of the background. So (laughs) I want to talk first about kind of the first big trauma that you went through. Um, tell us, tell us what happened and what that did to you and like how old you were and how you felt during that. Okay, sure. Um, so I was actually a pretty young age. I think the first real traumatic experience that ever occurred to me, um, and it was something I wouldn't say that I forgot about, but definitely when I did decide to go to therapy, it was something that kind of came about abruptly. Um, but when I was a freshman in high school, um, somebody in my family did get attacked and it took me a while to comprehend because it was not something that we discussed. It was kind of one of those things that it it happened and then we just kind of moved on from the situation and then, you know, life happens. Um, so it was never something that we sat down and discussed. Well, you know, when I did decide, you know, of course, in my mid to late thirties decide that, you know, I used to be very against therapy. Um, when it was suggested to me, I was like, I'm not that kind of person. That's not something that I am comfortable doing. But now I felt like it was something that was pretty necessary. And so I did go. And the first thing that came up was, you know, when I was 14 years old, and that did occur. And I felt like a lot of the trauma that did occur to me was something I wouldn't say that was self-produced by myself, but a lot of it I think was because, you know, I was either told to think a certain way or told to do certain things a certain way because that's just, it was what it was, you know? And then, um, so then of course it was like, you know, a domino effect once that was discussed, all the other things, you know, something that occurred when I was 18, you know, got brought up in 19 when I was talking about like my everyday things that was going on. Mm -hmm. And reality, that's actually not what my trauma was. It was the trauma that happened when I was younger Mm -hmm. in my younger adult years. You know, of course, I didn't know who I was at the time. And I just did what I wanted to do. And, you know, things happen the way that they happened. Yeah. So um, something that I've learned in therapy and just through studying psychology, you know, I have, I have a teenager and I remember learning that like late middle school, early high school, those are our most formative emotional years. So good, bad, or otherwise, the things that happen to us in those years affect us as adults. They affect our relationships as adults. So here you were a freshman and um, I'll just reiterate because it kind of cut out and I don't know if it'll come back in, but you had someone in your family that was attacked and you were not really allowed to process it, not really allowed to talk about it. It was just kind of like, this is a thing that happened, right? And then all these years later, end up in therapy, trying to talk about surviving daily life you know, mom life, nurse life. (laughs) And this is the first thing that comes up and it does happen like that. And, and it's important that for anybody listening, if you went through a traumatic event around that time in your life, late middle school, early high school, like it's important that you talk about it because it could be affecting your daily life and your current day relationships. And you maybe don't even know it. Right. 
And so here, here, that's another kind of setting the stage for you is this was secondhand trauma. This was not something that happened to you, but the way that you were told to behave, the way you were told to, to not talk about it and not process it, you know, uh, that affects you. That has been affecting you. Um, would you say that's fair? 100%. Um, yes, that's definitely fair. Before we move on to kind of the second traumatic event that I was kind of sort of there for, um, this other event, the first one that you talked about with your family member, um, I was not around, we were not friends when that happened. Um, but I, you know, I definitely heard about it. Is there anything else you want to say about that before we kind of move on to the next event? Um, I don't think so. Um, a lot of it, I think I was so young that I just, I didn't know if I just didn't comprehend or, I mean, I'm, you know, I was still developing at the time. So I don't really think I have much to say on that topic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to go into, so that happened, like you said, freshman in high school, 14, Mm -hmm. fast forward a few years, we were seniors getting into trouble. Um, and then tell us about, Tell us about your first pregnancy. And I have one story I want to tell uh, before we get to that. So um, I just want to explain how we were maybe 17, maybe 18 years old. We were seniors in high school in a small town and Maggie, Maggie's pregnant. Okay. And I remember us not knowing what to do. And I remember her coming to me and us not really being sure of what to do. And I'm sure that everybody has seen those billboards or those commercials or those social media ads that are like pregnant and scared, come to this clinic and we'll help you. So what did we do when Maggie was pregnant and scared? We went to one of those clinics that was in our small town. And I just want to tell you how, if you are pregnant and scared, do not go to one of those clinics because what they did to two young girls who were there legitimately looking for answers and a way forward They sat us in a room and you can pipe in at any point here, but this is just kind of a side story. They sat us in a room and immediately showed us a third trimester abortion, a video of it, which is traumatic to watch, traumatic to watch. We didn't sign a consent form saying we wanted to watch it. We didn't even give them any information. They just sat us in this room and played this video for us. You and I were traumatized. I'm pretty sure we just like, we're like, what the heck cried and left. But I just want people that you know, our anti-abortion and the people that run these clinics, I want you to know that that's not helping anyone. All you did was scare us and make what we went through later in life even worse. And if you're listening and you end up pregnant and scared, seriously, do not go to one of those places. Go to a trusted friend, uh, message me if you have to, but, but it was a terrible, terrible experience. And I don't think people realize, I know churches and, and believers that without even knowing what they do in those places, support them and push them and pay for them. And it really, truly, you have to look at how they're doing things because any psychologist will tell you that's not the way to do it. It's just not. And I've wanted to get that out for a long time. And so, and so I have, so, okay. I buried the lead. We're seniors several years after the first traumatic experience you're pregnant. I almost said we're pregnant because we were so close, but you're pregnant and tell us, we, we, we tried to go to the clinic. That didn't work. You had to tell your parents decisions were made. Tell us kind of what happens next from there. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody has their 
own opinion. I'm very pro-choice to whatever you feel is the right thing. I mean, I feel like I didn't get an outline of my options at the time, and I was kind of pushed into the decision that I made, and I definitely still to this day have suffered consequences from the, the choice that I made. Um, but I ended up going to a clinic um, in Kansas, and it was in Wichita, and I just remember pulling up, you know, I have no idea what's going on. I'm very young. I'm very naive, but I pull up to this clinic that I think is safe. And I have, you know, priest outside putting crosses around the entire building. I have vans with cameras standing outside and they actually have to cover me with a sheet to carry me in. Um, but once I actually got inside, it was a very calm and collected atmosphere, which also threw me off. I wasn't prepared for any of the things that were that were going on, you know. And for me to even approve of, you know, the choice that I made, I did have to sit down with a counselor multiple times to make sure that this is something that I wanted to do. And originally when I did walk in the door, it was not it was not what I wanted to do. Um, but with the way that life was and the people that I had in my life, I had to make a choice to do what I thought at the time was right. Um, the only reason I don't regret what happened is because I do have a beautiful 13-year-old boy. And so it definitely makes everything that I went through worth it. But I did suffer for a very long time after this. So I did end up going through the procedure. Um and during the procedure, they did everything right. They were very, everything was very sterile. The nurses were so kind. The doctor was even more kind. Um, I actually had Dr. Tiller, which I know that you know. Um, he was a very, very kind, very generous man. Um, during the procedure, I'm not sure if it was due to me or just the own fault of all the above, but I did end up getting very sick in the middle of it. Um, I did have breathing issues. I started to bleed out. So Dr. Tiller, you know, sent me to the hospital immediately um, to have all the blood work done, everything done, just to make sure that I was in the clear. Um, he did, he, I mean, he did everything right um, in this scenario anyways. You know, it's definitely not ideal. But even when I was there, um, it's just something that people don't think about. I mean, I was sitting in an office that looked like a regular doctor's office. I had women that were uh, full-term pregnant, but because of, you know, life happens, the baby wasn't healthy or, you know, other things were happening. Um, it's definitely, I don't know the word for it, but it was definitely life-altering for me. Mm -hmm. Um and I just remember coming out of it just feeling like I had done something wrong, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I just, me and myself, I had to dig pretty deep to move forward, I guess, in life. And um, it did help that I had such an amazing staff and Dr. Tiller. I don't know if that was something that you kind of mm -hmm. wanted to voice in on, on Mr. Tiller. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to speak to it's everybody listening at this point probably knows I'm a big pro-choice advocate and I am in Wichita and I know the exact clinic that you went to and you described when we talked earlier about the van across the street with the really terrible pictures and keep in mind Maggie had already sat through a video of a third trimester abortion. She shows up at this place and there's cameras, priests, a crowd that van with those pictures is still outside that clinic still to this day and the juxtaposition That's Crazy. of this chaos outside and then going inside and kind of having 
uh, a very uh, a very peaceful experience inside. I mean, I know people that work at that clinic today, and I know that that is their goal still to this day is to protect you from the outside world. And this is something that I tell people all the time. You have no idea what leads a woman into having to make this choice. It is the biggest choice. Sometimes it's not a choice either. Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances and people involved that kind of kind of manipulate you into it, right? And you just have no clue. And the last thing, this is what I tell people, because I use your story without your name all the time. And what I want people to know is that the last thing that someone like you or any woman that's had to make that hard choice, the last thing they need is you being jerks outside with your crosses and your pictures or your videos or, you know, making it illegal. Absolutely. I mean, I felt, yeah. And I felt like I, at the time, I felt like I didn't, I didn't have a choice. And to me, it was not something at the time that I, I wasn't ready to make the decision. And I felt very, I felt like I was definitely pushed into it. Um, Again, I I did definitely learn from this and I originally, they told me I was not even able to produce children. And then, you know, I did end up getting pregnant again and it was Mm -hmm. a very happy, healthy pregnancy, very healthy baby. Um, I mean, he's blossomed into a beautiful young man. And I just want to give another juxtaposition. So a couple of years after this happened to Maggie, I'm a freshman at the university of Kansas and I, I also end up pregnant and, um, I went to the student health clinic and Maggie was saying how she didn't really know her options because the one clinic we went to in town really didn't give us a fair shake of what could happen. But yet when I went to KU and I went to the student health clinic and I was like, Hey, I'm pregnant. I got to figure out what to do. I think I went in for a test, like a blood test. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And the nurse gave me one stack of, of papers and said, these are your options and resources if you want to keep it. And then gave me another stack of papers and said, these are your options and your resources if you don't. And that is how it should be. It is no one's business. We don't need any outside opinion. It is between you, potentially the baby's father, whoever is that partner in your life and your doctor. Like it's not up to anybody else, whether it's parents, legislators, or strangers on the street. It's not up to you. You're not helping (laughs) with that. Um, And I always felt like, just when I, having lived through the experience with you going to the the small town clinic, I didn't know what to expect at the university. And I remember once they gave me that thinking about our first experience and thinking about you and what you went through and being like, this sucks that because we were in a very religious closed-minded town that we didn't have that, that you didn't have that option. And it just, it just wasn't there. Um, And yeah. uh, So I want to focus in on Dr. Tiller for a minute. So if anybody's listening and is not from Kansas, Dr. Tiller was like a huge advocate for pro-choice and he was actually murdered. He was murdered at church. Um, I believe it was by pro-life advocates or people that were mad at him for, for, for doing, uh, for, for being an abortionist. And so yep, I want to know uh, where you were when you, or what you remember from when you found out that this man who was so kind to you was murdered and what that did to you? Um, This was definitely before social media was, you know, at the high end. Um, I really think that I read it in the newspaper and then I got online and looked at it and it did say, in fact, he was at church with his family and somebody walked up in the middle of church and just shot him. And I mean, he did everything he could to make me 
feel comfortable. And I mean, they, for me to even get to the point to see Dr. Tiller, I had to speak with nurses and therapists to make sure this is generally what I wanted myself. And if there was a time that I said no, they would ask me to step out and to come back tomorrow. And the first time I did go in, I did say that, no, I did not want this. And so they said, you know, I want you to leave and then you come back when you're ready. And so I went back the next day and that's just, you know, when I decided that it was what I needed to do at the time. And as soon as I said yes, and we started to, you know, I signed all the documents. He was the first face that I saw and he was very kind and introduced myself, answered any of my questions. Um, I mean, he was just doing what he needed to do and he did everything the right way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very highly pro-choice. Um, I mean, definitely don't use it to its advantage, you know, as birth control. I don't agree right. on that, but that's completely yeah, not here nor there. Yeah. Um, How did you feel when you like first read that headline? Like, you know, somewhat, I think it's, it was pretty upsetting because the clinic was, a... go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like, here is someone that was a kind face to you when you had to go through something traumatic and then he gets killed in such a traumatic way. Like what, tell us what your emotional state was when you like first read that headline. I mean, it was pretty upsetting. He was who I spoke with primarily during, I mean, mm-hmm. I was in the hospital for, I don't know, it was a few days to a week and he, he called me um, every day to check on me. He was probably the kindest person out of the entire, I mean, not that anybody was not, not kind, mm-hmm. but he was yeah. who I remembered out of the clinic. And so for me to see that that is how things ended for him was, it was pretty upsetting for me. Yeah. And I just wish that, you know, we still have extremists out there that are so extremely pro-life. And I just wish, like, I talk about unintended consequences a lot and it, uh, okay, you guys murdered him. He was not able to perform any more abortions, but we just got another doctor in the clinic. And then you caused even more pain to these people that, that he was kind to, that he helped. And I just, Mm -hmm. I just wish that, I just wish that people would think about that. Okay. Okay, So, um, first of all, Thank you so much for sharing so far, because not everybody gets to the point. You have to get to the point with trauma that you're even acknowledging it and then like sharing it in a public platform like this, like not Mm. everyone can do that. So, you know, great leading by example on that. And just thank you for being brave and being vulnerable so far. Um, So just getting people kind of a recap and getting us in the story, because we we did take a little break there. Um, You had this thing happen to you when you were you know, 14, 15, freshman in high school, something that, you know, was secondhand trauma that wasn't really processed, wasn't really talked about. And then you had a very traumatic um, abortion with your first pregnancy that was, in my opinion, compounded even more and made even more traumatic by outside influences, political influences. And of course, you know, Dr. Tiller's death. Um, And so here you are doing all of that. And then you had another thing that actually complicated that procedure. So tell us what happened um, with the with your ex who was the the baby's father. Sure. So I actually dated um, this baby's father for probably on and off for maybe two years or so. Um, 
it was definitely, it came out of nowhere, but probably six months after I did have this abortion, he did commit suicide. Um, and I was so, I was, I, I really think that I was 19 when this all happened. Um, but it, I definitely did not process any of this the way that I should have. I was so young and I thought that I could be super strong and just handle it on my own, um, which I had the opportunity to go to therapy and I was just like, I'm not, again, I'm not one of those people. I don't need that. I can do this on my own. But with that being said, it definitely altered me in my adulthood because the older I got, the more I felt like when traumatic things happened to me, I would just shove them under the rug and move on. Well, again, when I decided to go to therapy, the things that came up were the things that I did shove underneath the rug and in my adulthood, that me shoving those things under the rug are what affected the way that I handled, you know, the rest of my life and my adulthood. So it's definitely something, it took me a long time to comprehend everything that happened. There are a lot of people involved, a lot of things, you know, happened, but I, that was probably one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened to me. And I was again, very, very young. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, one thing that I don't think people realize about going through abortion, when you hear people uh, who are pro-life talk about women who have gotten abortions, they make it sound like you said before, they make it sound like it's their form of birth control, that it's very like, you know, they just portray women to be something that they're not. And one thing that I wish more people realized is both you and my other really close friend that have had abortions, like you guys had grief and guilt and like you still had to mourn even though you made mm-hmm. this decision, you still had to mourn that child that was no longer here. And people forget about that. And, and you, you have a grief and you have a guilt. And then here, like six months later, this baby's father is no longer alive. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it, it just, it's hard. It's hard. And there's so much grief that you went yeah. unprocessed for so long, like one of those things, one of those things, your the attack on your family, the whole abortion process, Dr. Tiller's death, your ex's death, like most people would not survive one of those things, let alone you having going through all of them. And of course, of course it affected you. And this is why it is so oh, imperative. Absolutely. This is why it's so imperative that we change the conversation around pro-life, pro-choice and just be pro-compassion because it's a heavy, emotional, hard thing. And you will never know everything that that person is going through and will continue to go through. Both you and my other friend, your grief from your abortions lasted forever. Like it doesn't go away. It's, it's still there. Yeah. Although I do, you know, have this healthy child, I do still to this day carry some of that guilt with me. Yes. Yeah. It, and it's hard. I know a lot of women that don't realize the the grief they have about their baby that it was lost uh, until they have new kids. And so they have, you know, it, it, that moment, that full circle moment, it's hard, you know? Um, but I do want to, I do want to talk about your full circle moments because like you've said, you yeah. have an amazing 13 year old and you're an amazing mom. And you've come, you've come full circle on that. And there's such healing in 
and being able to raise mm-hmm. a child and being able to have like the way that you meet him where he's at and, and have conversations with him. I mean, I know uh, parents that don't have those relationships, you know, um, but then also, and of course, finding therapy is going to help you, but I want to talk specifically about like you being in the field that you're in and how your experience led you there. Yeah, I definitely, it was something that I think I just saw the compassion that they were giving to me. And at the time, again, I had no idea what was going on really in my world. And then I kind of, I had these flashback moments where I did see these humans and they were taking such good care of me. And when I started to grow up, you know, in real life, I was like, that is something that, I mean, I would love to even be able to help one person. And it doesn't matter which type of... I mean, I I am a nurse and I I don't really have a specific anymore field Um, within the nursing realm. I kind of do all the things, I guess, um, with mine. So I see pediatrics all the way to geriatrics. Um, But I mean, all I really want to do is help, even if it's, you know, giving advice or physically, mentally, anything that I'm able or capable of doing, that is something that I would you know, in my heart, that's what I want to do. And I want to continue to do that. Even through COVID-19, <laughs> I still remain. Yes. Yeah. And it's so it's through all of that trauma, even before you were seeking therapy, you were able to not necessarily heal yourself. That's what we're working on now. It's healing yourself, but you mm-hmm. were able to translate it and, 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 and skip over some steps and go directly towards helping others, like helping your son have a different experience in life and helping mm-hmm. patients that come to you have that same compassion. I know for a long time you were like ER or trauma, right? For a while. Um, or maybe well, not. I did urgent care. Urgent but... care. Okay. Similar. Yeah. yeah. But you're having people come to you in their most like horrific, traumatic, embarrassing moments. And you're trying to give them the level of care that you received in one of your most traumatic moments. And I, I think that's amazing. And I think that, I think that comes across, you know, I mean, I think that nurses that aren't serving from like a deep seated, this is what I meant to do. Like they don't necessarily stick around. They surely wouldn't have survived COVID or all the other crap they put you guys through. But I just, I think that's really beautiful that through your son and through your career, you've been able to serve and and help others. And I think that by continuing to seek therapy and share, you're going to, you're going to be able to help others as well. Um, you and I both were teen moms and I, I have always wanted to, um, have an, a way of specifically helping teen moms. Cause there's not a lot of people that knows what that feels like, unless you've been there. Um, but yeah, so I, th- yeah. I think it's cool that you found a way to do that. So, um, in closing, I, I want to ask you, um, what is one thing you want others to know about your story? And, what advice do you have for someone that's maybe our age and is listening to this and they're like, you know what, maybe I did have this crappy thing happen to me and maybe I didn't deal with it (laughs) and maybe I should like, Mm -hmm. so one, a piece of advice for others. And then, and then, like I said, for people that are, this is all they're hearing, you know, they're getting 45 minutes to an hour of your story. What's like the one thing you want to make sure they know about the things that have happened to you? I mean, sometimes your body will try to overcompensate and try to protect you, you know, from feeling certain things and things are not right. 
But I think the biggest part of me was kind of letting my pride down and realizing something's not right. I know that my healing journey is not the best of my ability. I do need to talk to somebody. And it, it's not even that I have to talk about, you know, what's specifically going on like right now, but me just having somebody else that actually just has, you know, a clean slate of me not knowing anything, you know, me just opening up and them kind of figuring out a different method for me to heal. You know, I mean, I went to this therapist twice so far and she opened up this door that I didn't even know existed because my body shut it down, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was, that's what I was used to, you know, instead of healing, I would just shut it down and make it go away. Well, it doesn't go away. It stays mm-hmm. until it comes back. And so I would just say, you know, stop letting your pride get in the way. And if you need help, it's, it's not a bad thing. Even people that haven't had trauma, it's still good to have another voice to listen and, you know, to be able to move forward in a healthy manner. I think it's something that has always been publicized. Oh my God, you did that. You should go see a therapist. No, how about I'm having a good day? You know, maybe I should just Mm -hmm. go talk to somebody about it. Yeah. Therapy should be treated way more like checkups you know how you do your yearly checkups your yearly pap yes like you don't necessarily go because something's wrong you do it just to check in and even people that didn't go through the things that you went through like you said even I mean everybody has moments that shaped them in their formative years that could be affecting your relationships and it's an investment in you and the longevity Mm -hmm. of your relationships to go and get therapy I, I told a friend of mine today that we were going to do this. And I was like, I get to toot one of my favorite horns, which is go to therapy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And actually something crazy that my therapist even told me was she was like, you know, the other day I actually had a 90 year old come in here for the first time. And she, you know, helped him discover something about him that happened when he was like 10 years old. And he was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, that is why my life has been the way that it's been. And it wasn't even like, a bad traumatic thing. It was just something that, you know, like you said, kind of molded him to be who he was. And he really just needed somebody to talk to. So, yeah. And I know that when we did our planning call, we talked a lot about repressed trauma. And I know that I, myself and other, like I, you you see it, like when someone uh, comes out and is accusing like a celebrity of assaulting them or something. And people mm-hmm. will be like, well, that was 20 years ago. Why is she saying it now? And she, she's just trying to, because he's extra famous now. And it's like, I've maybe even thought that before. Like I've maybe even been like, okay, you had all this time to come forward with this, but like repressed trauma is so real. And like, maybe I'll be in a place someday mm-hmm. where I can share what I've learned from myself, but I'm telling you, like Maggie said, your bodies scab over a wound to help it heal. Your brain does the same thing, man. Like I, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't experienced it, but, but it makes sense. Your brain and your psyche and your soul try to protect you by shoving these things down. And you just, you don't know till you walk it, just like take our word for it. Like and, and I don't want to scare anybody else, scare anybody off I mean, from going to therapy, but if they're, you just never know what could come up and you just, you just have to believe people if they tell you like it, it's a real Absolutely. thing. Man. And there's no time frame either. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's no time frame. I mean, I mean, I'm 35 and these things happen, you know, when I was 14, 15. And then again, when I was 19, 
-hmm. You know, it wasn't like something happened yesterday that made me go. I just, I needed to go and I went and that's what came up. And I, I, I realized that that is what formed, you know, my coping mechanism, the way that I heal, the way that I handle daily situations. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy what the body can do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. How, so any other things in closing? How are you, how are you feeling right now? (laughs) I mean, I think I'm just really proud of myself for actually speaking on something that happened so long ago. And I'm, I would love to even publicly talk about this just so women know, like it is okay. Everything is okay. And it's going to be okay. And you need to do what is best for you regardless. Yeah. And something something I want to tell people like Maggie and I are safe. This is a safe place. So I'm embarrassingly easy to find online. I'm the mama marketer on every single platform (laughs) out there. So if you have a question for me, or even if you have a question for Maggie, like I can get you in touch with her. I'm not going to like post her information, but if someone messages me and needs to speak with her about something, or you want to speak with me about something, I've even helped people find therapists. Like seriously, we, this is a safe place. So you, you can let us know. And that's what we're doing this for. That's, that's why I have a book out. Cause like we used to share way more often than we do now. And we're all stronger when we can learn from each other's experiences. And by you being brave, somebody else might decide to be brave and they might not be brave by going on a podcast, but maybe it's by talking to someone that hurt them. Maybe it's by telling someone close to them what happened to them. I mean, there's so many different versions of it. So, um, so yeah, I just appreciate you doing this. And, um, like I said, anybody can reach out anytime if they want to talk to either one of us and I'll just give you any last minute things, any last minute comments or anything. I think we covered a lot. That was a lot. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I don't think I have much left either. I do again, just like you said, um, I'm willing if there was somebody that ever needed to communicate. I mean, they don't even have to tell me who they are. If they just need advice or want to talk about their trauma with me, I am, I am here and I'm also a safe space. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, this was really good. And I know people that are going to resonate with your story. And I know, especially being here in Wichita, I know people that are going to, um, you know, pro-choice people that are going to just let appreciate hearing from someone that's walked through it. Um, and yeah, so probably, um, next up for my listeners, next up is probably going to be another friend of mine. That's libertarian. Um, I think my friend Kirsten is going to come on next. So, um, stay tuned for that. Otherwise we will sign off. Um, okay. So we'll just say, we'll just say bye to everyone. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye.